Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, we, uh, we think that we see sometimes, maybe when we really don't, uh, we think that we have sight sometimes when maybe we really don't have sight, that we don't see things as clearly as as we think that we do. And, and this, what we're, this is what we're going to talk about this morning. What does it mean to really see? What does it mean uh, to really have sight? Because we, we can fool ourselves. We can, uh, we can think, I get it all. I see it all. I understand all of these things. But so often we don't really understand. We, don't, we think we see, but we don't really see. I, I was reminded of a, a, of a story that I read this week that uh, about a, a man and he had his children on a subway and as they're going along in the subway the kids are uh, they're they're rowdy they're you know obnoxious they're running around they're loud uh, it's starting to irritate all the people around them uh, on on the subway and and people are looking at this dad uh, you know with these expressions like do something about your kids have you ever been in one of those moments and and uh, uh, they're just you know feeling like they're out of control and finally somebody said something to this father and he said he looked at these people and he said I'm so sorry but their mom passed away this morning and we are just leaving the hospital and I don't really know what to do and all of these people on the subway they thought they saw and and they were so convinced of what they saw this guy needs to get control of his kids he needs to do something about this but they didn't really see, did they? They didn't really understand, and so many times in our lives, I think that we think that we get it. We think that we see. Uh, we think that we know what's going on, but we don't really see, and that's what Jesus wants to help us with this morning when it comes to who he is. So we're going to make two really important definitions. We're going to give you two really important definitions this morning. The first one is going to be, uh, the, who is Christ? Who is Jesus? Uh, what does it mean? What's the definition of Christ? What's the definition of Messiah? And the second is, what does it really mean? What's the definition of a disciple? We've talked about uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that people followed him. The idea of being a follower of Jesus was to stay as close to him as they possibly could so that at any moment they could reach out and, and touch him so they wouldn't miss anything that happened, so they wouldn't miss anything that he said. But there's a bigger, deeper meaning to what it means to be a follower of Jesus that, that we're going to consider this morning, and we're going to do it out of the gospel of Mark, continuing in this idea of good news for everyone, and we're going to look at what it means to be the Christ and what it means to be a disciple. Uh, so Mark 8, beginning in verse 22, says this, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. I want to just stop there because this is so profound. They're, they're going to Bethsaida, and, and, and they mention this because they want us to understand uh, Mark wants us to understand, give a, give a location context that this story really happened. Uh, it, it really happened in real time, and this is where it happened. And they all know Bethsaida. And one of the interesting things about Bethsaida is that at least three of the disciples, uh, Philip and uh, Peter and Andrew, came from there. That's their hometown. So we're very familiar. It comes up a lot in the stories. And here's the second part that I want you to think about this morning. It says that they got to Bethsaida and a group of people, uh, it says some, some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. 
This group of people, these friends, they had such confidence in Jesus and such love for their friend that they brought this blind man to Jesus. They delivered him to Jesus and then they begged Jesus to do something for him. It was, it was their role, their job. They decided, they, they were so desperate for something to happen for their friend that they took that great risk and they brought their friend to Jesus because they had confidence in who Jesus was and they had such love for their friend. They thought, if we can just get those two things connected. Isn't that true in our own lives? If, uh, if we really thought about it, what it would mean to have that kind of confidence in Jesus and that kind of love for people that don't know him that kind of love for people that need to meet them and connect those things together. So it says they did that. They took the blind man by the hand and they, or Jesus took the blind man out uh, by the hand in verse 23 and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, uh, he asked him, do you see anything? Uh, he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything uh, clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not enter, even enter the village that go around. You know, we don't want this to get uh, out too far. We don't want the message to get out too far, too fast. And so uh, here we have this really interesting story, kind of an odd story about one of the miracles of Jesus. Now, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that, that there's a moment where a woman just sneaks up behind him and touches the hem of his garment and, and she's instantly healed of, of her disease. And there's another one there where Jesus uh, sees uh, this, uh, this leper comes and falls at his feet and, and Jesus reaches out and he touches the leper and he's immediately healed. There's a, another time when, when Jairus comes to Jesus and he begs him to heal his daughter and, and Jesus, doesn't, Jesus goes and his daughter's already dead and he says, little girl, girl rise and he lifts her up and she's healed. We have all of these stories and now we have this story about a man and Jesus, and I'm not going to tell this as well as my son Caleb did because he spits, you know, and, and uh, uh, he, he spits and then he puts the spit on his eyes and he prays over him and he says, now, do you see? And he said, well, kind of. I see, but I see men like trees walking. I, I see, but I don't see clearly yet. And, and it's the only account that we, we have where we, we have a, an extra prayer. We have an extra healing. Uh, we don't quite get the whole healing the first time, so we get a do-over here. And, and Jesus puts his hands on him again and prays on him again. And then he says, now, now can you see? And he says, yes, I can see clearly. And he's amazed and he's whole and, and it's a beautiful thing. But we have this moment, why did it take two times and, and you know and, and if we just look at it and we don't we, we see but we don't really see and we think what was what was that guy's problem you know maybe he was a bad guy maybe he didn't have enough faith uh, maybe there's something else going on maybe, maybe it was you know what what was happening around the circumstances but Jesus has something bigger in mind because Jesus has a lesson for us in this story he has something he wants us to understand and he wants us to learn about this story that sometimes that seeing process in our lives is an ongoing process we don't always see perfectly the first time we don't always get everything the first time and Jesus calls us to continue to trust him continue to rely on him as he clears our sight as he makes us whole as he heals us from our, our blindness, whether it's physical or spiritual blindness. That's what he's looking for. Well, the 27th verse says this, Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? 
So now Jesus leaves this point. Jesus leaves uh, Bethsaida, and they're going on to the next des- destination. And as they're all walking together, it's a teachable moment. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he asks them this pivotal question. This is the very middle of the Gospel of Mark. Up until this point, we've been talking about who Jesus is. Now we're moving toward the cross from here on. And so right at this moment, Jesus asks his disciples one of the most important questions, one of the questions that we all have to answer in our lives. He says to them, let's do a survey. Let's take a poll. Who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? Who who do they think I am out there? And and so his disciples started giving him answers. They said, well, some think you're John the Baptist that that you've come back. And and others think you're the great prophet Elijah that's come back to earth. And and that God, or you're another one of the old prophets that God has sent back to proclaim his word to his people and to restore the nation of Israel. And so they're giving him these answers. They're telling him what they know. They're telling him what they've heard, what they see. And then Jesus asked them the pivotal question. And this is the question that we all have to ask ourselves at some point in our lives, Jesus says to him, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not who everybody else says. Not, not, not the current survey or the latest poll or, or, or the gossip out there, but who do you say that I am? Think about that for a second because that, that might be the most important question that we'll ever, we'll ever answer in our own lives. Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter responds immediately. Peter says, you are the Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, this story is told again. And and in Matthew, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter has the right answer. Peter says it just right. But who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one. Christ is the the Greek word for anointed. Um, He is the anointed one. In the Hebrew, it's Messiah, the one that's uh, anointed by God, the one that's sent by God, uh, the one that they've been prophesied, the one that they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. Peter announces, that's who you are. I get it. I see it. I know exactly who you are. And Jesus says, you know, you you think you see me. You feel like you see me. But now I'm going to tell you what it really means to be the Messiah. I'm going to explain to you what it really means to be the Christ, the anointed one, the one that's sent by God, the Savior of the world, because you only see part of it right now. And so uh, Jesus begins to teach them in verse 31, to teach them that the Son of Man, which is an Old Testament phrase that refers refers to the Messiah, we find it in a couple of places in the Old Testament, particularly in in Daniel, the seventh chapter, Uh, but he says that, he begins to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. So here's what Jesus says. He says, this is what it looks like to be the Messiah. That you're gonna suffer many things. That that's the Messiah. He suffered. You're gonna be betrayed. You're gonna be mocked. What it means to be a Messiah is to be unjustly killed, but it also means to rise again. That's what it looks like to be a Messiah. Now, Peter had just gotten the right answer. He just said, you're the Christ, but he didn't see everything. Now Jesus tells him, this is what that means. You've got the right answer, but but you don't know how you got there, Peter. You've got the right answer. I am the Christ, but let me tell you what it means to be the Christ, what it means to be the disciple, uh, what it means to be the Messiah. It means that I am going to suffer. 
It means that I'm going to be betrayed and mocked and beaten. I'm going to die on a cross, but it means also that I'm going to rise again. That's what it looks like. You know, this is why I hated geometry. Because geometry wasn't about getting the right answer. It was about getting the formula, right? It was about how, show your work. I don't want to ever hear that again. Show your work, Larry. No, but is the answer right? It doesn't, you don't know how you got there. You have the right answer, but you don't know the formula that we don't know what it means to really get there. Peter, Peter knew the right answer, but he didn't know what it took to get there. He didn't know what it really meant. He didn't understand the, the formula. And Jesus is explaining that. And so here's what happens. He said this to them plainly, and Peter the Apostle Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter pulls Jesus away and he begins to rebuke him. And this word rebuke is a really strong word. It's the same word that's used in the Gospels when it refers to Jesus uh, cleansing a person of a demonic spirit. It's the same kind of rebuke that Jesus gave to the demons to cast them out. It's really strong language and Peter actually pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him saying, that's not the picture, that's not how this works. That's not what it means to be the Christ. I see who you are, but that's not it. You've got it wrong, Jesus. Don't talk like that. None of this stuff is going to happen. This isn't the way it's supposed to be because you're supposed to come and you're supposed to right all the wrongs and, and you're supposed to fix all the things that are bad in the world and you're supposed to overthrow the Roman government and set up your government and we're all supposed to be in your cabinet. That's what this is supposed to look like. You're getting it wrong, Jesus. And he rebukes him and Jesus then looks at his disciples and he makes sure they're all paying attention. And it says, turning aside, but turning, uh, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He looks at Peter and says, Peter, you see, but you don't see. You don't get it. You rebuke me for telling you the truth, for giving you a clear picture of who I am, but you're either for me or against me. You're either with me or you're against me on this because this is what it means to be a Messiah. Look at it. Pay attention. See clearly, this is who I am. I read this other great story this week about a 67-year-old woman who went to her ophthalmologist and, and she was having trouble seeing. Her vision was getting blurry. She wore, had worn contacts for a long time. And so she goes to the ophthalmologist. She thinks she's going to get new contact lenses. And, and the, the, the doctor's assistant begins to try to put the new contact in her eye and he notices that there's an obstruction, there's something in there and she realized it's another contact lens. And apparently this lady had, had, uh, w was wearing these disposable contact lenses and, and she put, goes to put the next one in and, and it doesn't go, if she thinks it fell out or it, got mo it moved or something so she simply puts the new contact lens in her eye and so this lady, this assistant, discovers this old contact lens and, and begins to pull it off and there's another contact lens in her eye. And before she was done, she removed 27 contact lenses from this lady's eyes and then put the new one in. And it's a miracle. She could see. It worked. But it wasn't until he, that somebody noticed that all of these contacts, she'd just been putting one contact lens after another over her eye, over the others. And she couldn't see anymore. It wasn't working anymore. And you see, that's what we really like to do in our lives, isn't it? Uh, we, rather than dealing 
with the issues in our eyes. Rather than dealing with the things that are keeping us from really seeing, let's just put another uh, worship set, let's just put another service, let's just put another sermon, let's put another time in church, let's just put some other good feeling uh, over the problem in our eyes and see if it goes away that way rather than really taking the time to clear all of that, to get rid of all of that so that we can really see. We just want a shortcut. We want an easier way to it. And with, instead of dealing with the issue in her eye, she just kept putting another contact over the top. And that's, it just feels like that's what we do. You know, Jesus said, I'm the Christ, and here's what it means. That I didn't come to ascend a throne, I came to ascend a cross. I didn't come to be on a throne but I came to be lifted up on a cross. I came to give my life as a ransom. I came to sacrifice myself for you. That's what it really means. To be the Messiah means that you suffer. It means you give yourself up. It means you give your life um, as a ransom for other people. That's what it looks like. And never before had anybody combined suffering with being the Messiah until Jesus came. And that's what he wants us to understand. And we really want to see Jesus. We see him as the one who came, who was betrayed, who suffered, who died on a cross, but he rose again. He's the Christ. And then in verse 34, it's really interesting because Jesus looks around and it says, calling the crowd to him. So Jesus wants everybody to hear this. He wants everybody to get this. So he has the disciples with him and now he's calling the whole crowd, all of the people that were sort of around, all of the people that were following him, the, the entourage that was there. He calls everybody together and he begins to teach them. And here's what he says. Now he's gonna give them the definition of what it means to be a disciple, what it looks like Uh, to be a follower of Jesus and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, if anyone will follow me, wants to be my follower, there's three things that you're gonna have to do. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. That's what it looks like. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. It doesn't say anything about you're an executive in my new government, you're in my cabinet. It doesn't say anything about you get rich and powerful and famous. It doesn't say anything about that. Here's Jesus saying, if you really wanna see, if you really wanna know, this is what it looks like to be my follower. It looks like somebody who denies themselves, who takes up their cross and then follows me. And so we have these three pictures. What, it mean, what does it mean to deny yourself? If you wanna break it down in the basic, it just means to say no. Say no to yourself. Say, I have come under new authority, new ownership in my life. Here's the verse that I love the most that explains this. It's Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you know what it means to deny yourself? It means that every morning when you wake up, you say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Jesus lived through me today live through my life. I want people to see you. I I don't want people to be impressed by me. I want them to see who you are. I want them to get a clear picture. So I want to, I have been crucified with you. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ. It's you, Lord, who lives through me. That's what it means to deny yourself, to allow Jesus to be first in your life, to allow Jesus to take control of your life. 
So that's why there was a person, I really love this comment that they made, because uh, they were commenting that, you know, what, what happens when you meet somebody and, and you're trying to make casual conversation and, and, and inevitably, right, it's gonna go to, what do you do? What do you do? And, and that's kind of how we identify ourselves, right? Uh, that, that we identify ourselves, we get our identity by what we do, and, and when we lose that thing, when we lose what we do, we don't know who we are anymore, right? Because we've built this whole life around what we do. And, and so he said, when I, I met somebody, he said, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as an attorney. That's how he described himself. How, how about that? I, I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus, cleverly disguised as a real estate agent, as a teacher. But what if our identity was built first around who we are in Jesus, who we are in Christ, and that our day is spent as a follower of Jesus who's cleverly disguised as whatever else it is that we do, whatever else is in our lives. But that's not our identity. That's not who we are. But who we are first and foremost is a follower of Jesus a lover of Christ, a disciple, someone who belongs to him, someone who's been, whose life has been completely changed by Jesus. So he says, deny yourself, and then he says, take up your cross. Totally identify with Jesus. You know, the picture that we have in the scripture of take up your cross is a convicted criminal who's forced uh, to pick up his cross and carry it to the hill where he's gonna be crucified. To take up your cross means you carry your own cross to your place of execution. That, that Jesus says, I want you to come under new ownership. I want you to belong to me. Uh, I want you to understand that you've been crucified with Christ and now every day of your life, you take up your cross because you know that uh, you go to die to yourself so that you can live for Christ. Uh, that, we, that, that regardless of what happens in our lives, that we wanna identify with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul talked about this all the time, that we identify in his sufferings, we identify in his joy, we identify in all things in Jesus, that that's where our identity comes from, that's where our life comes from, we belong to him, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross. Here, here's, here's a great way to take up our cross. It comes out of Ephesians 4, 32. It says this, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does it mean to take up your cross? It means that we love people the way Jesus loves us, that, that he died on a cross for us. We say, how can I give myself away? That's a really high bar, isn't it? But that's what we're called to be. We're called to be an expression. We're called to be the visible expression of the invisible Jesus in the world. We're called to love people as he is loved us that's what it looks like and that is not easy to do and that's sort of beyond us and it means that every day I have to determine that I'm going to follow Jesus I'm going to live my life for him I've been crucified with Christ and what it means to carry my cross is that I have to love people who don't love me I have to love people who don't get it I have to love people who don't see that it's not something I do because they're lovable it's not something I do because they're attractive I do it because Jesus has loved me when I didn't deserve it when I hadn't done anything to earn it. Look what he says in Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the example that we have. It's not, Jesus didn't get ready for the cross and say, now, here's the deal. 
I want you all to get your life together. I want you to get your act together. I want you to stop lying and cheating and, and being bad to people. I, I want you to start caring for people. I want you to start taking care of the poor. I want you to start doing all of these things. And once you've kind of done that, then, then we'll just see if I'm gonna die for you. Then we'll just see what the cross really means for you. But until then, here are all the things that you have to do. Jesus didn't do that. That's not what his love looks like. What Jesus did is that while we were still in rebellion, while we were still lost, uh, while we still didn't appreciate it or understand and before we were even born Jesus said I love you so much I'm going to go to the cross for you and he says now I want you to live like that I want you to live for that that's what his love really looks like for us here's another another place that we see it 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 to 15 say this for the love of Christ controls us Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, uh, who for their sake died and was raised. That's how we live our lives. So deny yourself, take up your cross, and then he says, and follow me. That, that, and this idea of follow me is a continual phrase. It's a, uh, the language in there is something that we continually do, that every day of my life I choose to follow Jesus. Every day of my life I set my eyes on a course uh, to follow him. And we've talked about this. We don't always know where we're going, but we always know who we're following, that we're followers of Jesus. And it's about following him. It's about giving uh, ourselves to him. It's about making that choice, not just every day, but every moment of every day, that that's how I want to live my life as a follower of Jesus. That's what I want my life to look like. That's what I want my identity to be tied up in, is that I belong to Jesus. When I didn't deserve it, Christ came and he died for me. He rose again, and it's because of the resurrection that all of this is true, that I know Jesus keeps his promises. I know that he can use my life. I know where I spend eternity because of the resurrection, because of who he is. Now do I trust him? Am I willing to follow him every day of my life? Am I willing to give myself to him in, in, that, in that way? So here's what Jesus, how another, he explains it further, just a few more verses here. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If you try to protect your life, you try to create that comfort, you try to create it around you, you'll lose it. Um, But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it do for us when we achieve everything that the world says is important? We have all the money and the wealth and the fame and all of those things. What good are those things if it costs us our soul, Jesus says. And then he finishes with verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus says, look, it's not until we understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not not until we understand what it means that regardless that I I belong to him, that that's where my identity is. Too often in our lives, we're embarrassed of Jesus. 
We're, we're afraid somebody's gonna reject us. We're, we're afraid somebody's gonna be angry with us. We're afraid of, uh, of how, what people are gonna think of us. And we're afraid of all of those things. And we are ashamed of Jesus. And Jesus says, don't live your life that way. That's not what a disciple looks like. That's not what a follower of mine looks like. That's not what someone who can see clearly looks like. But don't be ashamed of Jesus. What, what would it have been like if the man, the blind man, if after the first time Jesus prayed for him, had been too embarrassed, uh, had been too embarrassed to say, I can't see clearly. Uh, what would have happened if he'd have been too embarrassed, oh, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel so stupid because Jesus has healed all these other people and, and now he's, t- he's touched me, he's prayed for me and, and I, I, I kind of see but I don't really see but I don't, I, I'm, I'm too embarrassed to say something. I, I don't wanna admit that I can't see because I'm gonna look bad. I, I'm gonna look like I don't have any faith. What would, it, what would have happened if that guy had been too embarrassed to tell Jesus the truth that I don't really see yet? He, he would have spent the rest of his life seeing people as trees walking. He would have been, spent the rest of his life seeing the world out of focus. He, he would have spent the rest of his life not really sure if what he was seeing was true or if what he was seeing was right. But because he was willing to say, I, I, I think it's better, but I don't really see yet. And Jesus touched him again. He could see clearly. What if he'd been too prideful to admit it? What, what if he'd have said, I'm, no, I can't tell him. I'm not gonna tell him I can't see. That would be dumb. I would look, I would look dumb. People would make fun me. It wouldn't work. What what if he'd been too prideful to say, Jesus, I can't see yet. We do this in our lives. We either get embarrassed because uh, we we think people are not going to think that we're spiritual or not going to think we're good Christians or are not going to think, you know, well of us or whatever, or we're too prideful. We don't want anybody to uh, think. We worry so much about what other people think and what we think that they perceive in our lives that we miss the opportunity to see clearly who Jesus is in our lives because we're so caught up in what somebody else might think or say. Our identity has been built on what other people think about us. Imagine living your whole life and your identity is tied up in what other people think of you. How painful is that? How, how confusing is that? Because that changes all the time. Every encounter is a little bit different. Every day is a little bit different. And we just get constantly knocked back and forth because we're defining ourselves by what other people see us. And Jesus says, I want you to see yourself in me. I want you to understand that your identity is in me. That's really who you are. It's not what you do. It's not any of those things. But your identity is in me. And that's where the healing process started we are not capable of even realizing that we need to see better until Jesus starts that process in our lives. And then every day we realize, Lord, help me to see you more. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is this morning? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for these Stories that you've given us to illustrate who you are, who is Jesus the Christ? What does it mean to to be the Christ, the Messiah? And then, Lord, what does it mean to really be a follower of you? Because it's so different than we see, and it's so different than we imagine, and probably different than we even want often in our lives, but yet, Lord, it's, 
it's so true and it changes everything in our lives. And, and so, Lord, forgive us if, if we've just chosen to only see partially. Forgive us if we've been set, willing to settle for only seeing a little bit and not completely understanding, not completely seeing who you are and who you want us to be. Lord, give us eyes to see this morning. Heal our sight. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. advantage of those things. Here's my prayer, my encouragement, challenge to you this week. Uh, next time somebody asks you, well, what do you do? Uh, maybe maybe you, you start with, uh, I'm, a, I'm a disciple of Jesus, uh, cleverly disguised as a stay-at-home mom. Or I'm a disciple of Jesus, uh, cleverly disguised as a teacher, fourth grade kids. Uh, wh whatever it is, but we're followers of Jesus first. That's who we are. That's, that's our identity. That's our life. And then what we do from there is secondary, but it's also for his glory. Uh, it's because of him that we, that we do what we do. So I was had, after the nine o'clock, somebody said to me, uh, we challenged a friend to do that. Uh, and and uh, he said uh, he, he was, didn't want to be ashamed of the gospel. He didn't want to be ashamed of Jesus. And the first three or four times, um, he said people just sort of didn't get it. And uh, he, felt, he felt dumb. And he said that the next time that he did it, the person said, wow, man, I used to, I used to believe all that. And they had an hour and a half conversation and that guy turned his life back to, to Jesus. So don't sell yourself short. Don't, don't convince yourself that God can't use you like that because we belong to him. Our identity is in Christ. And, uh, you know, I always think when I have a bad day, I say, how's your day? Well, I didn't get crucified, so anything short of that, it's, I'm getting off easier than Jesus did, right? Uh, my life belongs to him. Your life belongs to him. I love you guys. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.